We're gonna we're gonna jump on your page if you have it to session five because I have to go a little early and then Hutch is gonna do session four at the end. What were those three elements that we talked about several times that sort of all encompass our aspiration as a community of faith? Those three things. Worship, nurture, witness. We've talked about worship, we've talked about nurture. We're going to spend this last bit of time until noon talking about witness. And what when you hear the word witness, what do you... What do you think of? I would imagine, depending on your background, you have various kinds of connotations to what a witness is. What is a witness? For us, it was living differently, so everyone can it's just from your everyday life. Living differently. Okay. Living differently. Okay. Answer truthfully. Yeah. They provide testimony, so they're they're talking about something that they've seen or experienced or know about and saying this is true. Right? Anything else? Showing how you live. Showing how you live. That's great. I ran across at one point in my life this really great definition. A a cardinal in the Catholic Church said this, and I loved it because I think it captures all the things that you guys are saying. He says, "To, to be a witness... Let me make sure I quote it correctly. To be a witness doesn't consist in engaging in propaganda or even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery. It means living in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. Living in such a way that your life would it make sense? Make sense. <laughs> Without God. Now, that's not everything there is to say about it, but it is a way of thinking about this, that we are people who have come under the spell of Jesus. That we've come to believe a certain storyline that we think encapsulates what reality is, that says... God made this world. It got blown to smithereens by sin that made everything a mess. And then God decided to step into the world to reclaim it as its king, to rectify the mess, to clean up the people who had blown everything to bits, and has engaged them to say, this is what humanity is supposed to be like, and he's setting up this kingdom like he is the king. And so the people who are in the kingdom people who are under the sway of the king, you don't think in terms of kingdom, but people who are under the influence of Jesus and have come to believe that the vision of life under the sun that we have is that Jesus determines things for us, that Jesus is uh, going to remake all things. He's actively making all things new. One day we'll live on a new earth 
with Him where there will be no more sorrow or pain. All things sad will come untrue. It's Tolkien's way of saying it. And so we're the people who have adopted that in this community of faith. And so then we're called to live out in the world that we're, we're in, all, in a thousand different ways saying to people, this stuff about Jesus being the king, it's not just fairy tale stuff. It's actually real. And we're living in such a way that we're, we're trying to let our lives be framed according to that reality, even though it's not something we can see all the time. Does that make sense? So it affects so much about what you do, and it ought to be the case that people would look at your life and say, wow, there are practices in that person's life that if they didn't have God, their life wouldn't make any sense. There ought to be things you're doing where you think, boy, if this, if this whole bit about Christianity is not true, I'm a freaking crazy person. Do you ever have, that, have you ever thought that about yourself? Because I think if you're not ever thinking about that, if you don't ever have that thought cross your mind, you might not be living by faith. <laughs> there are certain times where you ought to think, oh my gosh, if I'm wrong about this, I'm an idiot. This is crazy. But if I'm right, if this bit about Jesus being the King, the Savior of the world, and claiming me, forgiving me of my sins, making me righteous, calling me into His service, wow, the gift of eternal life, the gift of living on the new earth, the gift of being able now to have the dignity of bearing witness to Him, being a little Christ. Well, that's pretty awesome. It's a good reason to get up in the morning. So, that's one thing I want you to think about is being a witness as a community, it would be great for us to think, we want to live our lives in such a way that they wouldn't make sense if God didn't exist. We want to live our lives in such a way that we depict to all the people that we are around, out in the world, that Jesus is real. That He really does, He remakes lives, He, he forgives people, He's deeply loving, He actually likes the world. And so He gave up His life for it, and He has called us out into the world. And one of the things that uh, someone else said at one point, I'm not even going to write it down because you can't read my writing and it takes too long. But this is an interesting thing to think about. The church is the only cooperative society on the earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true. You could probably think of an exception. But think of that again. The church is the only cooperative society on the whole earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, you ever, have you ever thought about the church that way? That part of our existence... Part of our calling in the world, part of us doing life differently, embracing certain values, living a life of sacrifice, of generosity, of love, of forgiveness, caring for the poor, caring for disadvantaged folks, all of that stuff, part of why we do that is that we believe we've been called into existence for the benefit of the world, not just for the church. And you'll find any time a church, and it happens, boy, it happens. Anytime a church gets too much insulated from the concerns of the world, or anytime a church becomes mainly about itself, have it, what, what happens? What do you think happens? Have, has anyone seen this from a distance? Or? It's diluted. So what? It's diluted. 
It's diluted. So it loses its power and effectiveness. Yeah? What, what else? Yeah. Oh, yes. All of these things, right? If if a main part of our if a main part of our raison d'etre and our reason for being that's from Raising Arizona, that's a movie you need to memorize. If you don't have to, I'm just kidding. If if part of what God has called us to do is like this is a pilot project for the benefit of the world. We're salt and light, right? We're a city on the hill. That's what Israel was supposed to be. You are a kingdom of priests. You're supposed to show the world what a redeemed community that's in relationship with God is supposed to look like. You're supposed to be a picture to the world what humans are supposed to be like. And they they hated the world. Or else they fell in love with it and started depending on it instead of God. And the church is supposed to be, as a fulfillment of Israel, attached to Jesus and the community that isn't deluded by saying, hey, we're just, a, we're just a club that likes each other awful well and gets together and hangs out and drinks a lot of coffee. That's one of the things we do. We ought to like each other awful well, but it can't end there. We, we go out into the world. Right? We go out into the world. So we've talked about part of our purpose is worship. Part of our purpose is nurture, is the one-anothering aspect, the family aspect. But then this last part is that we are called to be something in the world. And so the second that we stop doing that, I think it it lends itself to implosion. A lot of churches are notorious, for instance, for people getting really geeked up about, I can't believe you put green carpet in the sanctuary instead of whatever, I don't even know what another color you would put in the sanctuary would be. But... That's the kind of thing that happens when you start losing a sense of, hey, we have, we have business out there. Then all of a sudden people get really concerned about stupid things. Or they get disproportionate things. Uh, they, they take up a disproportionate amount of place in our uh, common life. People start to fight. People start to get petty. And sometimes when, when that happens, it's a good indication like, you know what? You are thinking about yourself way too much. We're called out. And it's one of the greatest gifts in the world that Jesus gives to us is that we're, we don't have to sit around and just look at ourselves all the time. We have a job to do. We're bearing witness to another. Okay. So. <clears throat> so important is this. Where's my... So important is this aspect of outwardness, of bearing witness of living in such a way that life would not make sense of God and not exist. That we think that Jesus has created a class of officers in the church to make sure that this, that this aspect happens. And Jacob asked about this earlier. What was your question? Deacons. All right. Let's see. Okay, deacons, diakonos in Greek, again going back to Greek because everybody in New Salem speaks it, in Greek, does anybody know what deacon means, what diakonos means? 
You can say it even if you're, if you're a former pastor in here and you want to say something. Sermon. <laughs> yes. Sermon. The first, uh, the kind of prototypical superdeacons that happened in Acts, you know what happened was there were, there were widows that weren't getting a distribution of food. The church felt like we got to care for these people who got nobody. They got us. And, we're, and so one group of widows was not getting enough food and the other group was. And so the apostles said, would it be right for us to give up the ministry of the word and prayer in order to wait on tables? Right? So they didn't, they didn't say, that's stupid. They said, appoint, seven, appoint men filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit and let them do it. And we believe that these guys are kind of like, just debate about it, but they're kind of like the first deacons. And throughout the New Testament, you see places like in Philippians where Paul's addressing the church and he's addressing the elders and the deacons. And so deacons... We have, as we look at the scriptures, we believe deacons are a role of service. These are servants. They lead the church in its service to people in the world and to the people in the congregation. But they are, if you think about this, if Jesus was wanting to set up this thing and delegating authority, you, you, you set things in place that you think are really important. So obviously Jesus thinks it's really important to have a group of people who are shepherds who, who care a lot about making sure people know what he thinks about things through his word, right? So elders, preachers, we, we do word ministry heavily. But then he's also really concerned about people who reflect his deeds, his service to the world. So he created this class of people called deacons, servants. Word and deed. Deed. For deacons, okay. So that Hutch already answered this question in a, in a brief way, and I won't add much to it. Deacons are the guys who are the pace setters in mercy work. When we use the word mercy, what do you hear when you hear mercy? It's a code word. We, but it might not mean the same thing you it means to when we say it. Anyone? Compassion, sure. Mercy. Compassion. Yeah. What else? Forgiving. Forgiving? Yeah. It's kind of not not giving people what they deserve. The question of what the, whether they deserve it or not is out. Pity, I think, would be another. Pity can sound condescending, but in the sense of being moved. Having your gut, gut shake at the core of your being when you see someone suffering and you ache for them. And so we think the deacons are this group of people that are to lead our congregation. And with the with lead foot of saying, We're, we have to care about the troubles of our people and we have to care about the troubles of our community. They have to make our guts shake. And we we have a responsibility to care for them, to love them. Okay. Let's see what I wanted to say. I think there's a oh yeah, here we go. There's a great story. 
There's a great story written by Wendell Berry called The Hurt Man. Has anybody ever heard of this story? No. Jess? Yes. Okay. And The Hurt Man is told through the eyes of a grown-up boy who was five years old, and he talks about 1888, sitting on the front porch of this house, it says, with his mom, watching her darn socks. And he's able to run everywhere he wants to go at any given time, but on Saturday nights, not so much, because all the men from town gather. And they start drinking whiskey. And the results of that whiskey drinking are all too probable, not the kind of place that a little boy should be. So mama keeps him close, because you never know what's going to happen. And on one particular Saturday night, they're sitting there on this porch, and there's a ruckus. And suddenly, you see a man running down the street, and he's bleeding all over his head, his face, and his side. His shirt's covered in blood. And he's running towards their house. And as he's running, some men are coming after him. And the woman, this little boy's mom, she yanks him in, into her house. This man who's bleeding, nasty, reeking of alcohol, which normally would have warranted her disdain, we're told. But she saw the hurt man, this woman who did what the world placed before her to do. She saw this hurt man and her, her hurt love for him took over. And so none of the other things that she might otherwise condemn him for mattered at that moment. What mattered was that he was hurting, he was bleeding, he was in need. And his friends came, several of his friends came into the house and she was directing them how to get his shirt off, how to, how to tend to him, get me some cold water, get me some rags. And this is such a great metaphor. She says in one place, after they took his shirt off, and he had wounds all over his chest and his side and his arms and his face. She's got little white cloths. And all the men are helping her put bandages in all the places where the man's bleeding. And the woman says this, it's the Lord's own mercy that we have so many hands because the man had many wounds. It's the Lord's own mercy that we have so many hands because the man had many wounds. And I think about that when I've, you've heard me say the way that Jesus shows that he loves a community is he puts a church there. Does that sound crazy? It's part of the way of saying the world, the world has many wounds. You know about them. You read about them. You, you come face to face with them in your work and in your neighborhood. And Jesus has given us many hands. That's part of what the church is about. And so you'll hear us talk about little Christ being little Christ. Well, that, that's a C.S. Lewis expression. I think it's a great way when you put the name on you and you leave out on Sunday morning, go in, uh, go in peace to love and to serve the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We pronounce the benediction. We're putting God's name on you. You go out into the world as little Christ with many hands to serve the wounds and needs of the world. And we do that in various kinds of ways. But it's important to think of yourself that way, I think. And so as a church, in specific ways, one of the ways that we envision that is just in caring for the poor. Caring for people who are cut off economically and socially from other kinds of, of support that we have. 
What, when, you th- when you hear the word poor, what do you think of? What words come to mind? What, what is poor? What is poverty? Say it, what? Empty. Yes. Empty. Downtrodden. Downtrodden. Nice. Dang. You guys are giving better answers than I would have imagined about that. That's good. Sweet community development majors or something. Anybody else? Broken. Yeah. So, one of the things that one of the things that occurred to me when I was doing my pastoral internship at New City Fellowship, which is one of our denominational sister churches down in Chattanooga, and they do a lot of uh, great work with the with the poor. And it was the first time in my life I realized that I realized how rich I was, not because I had a lot of money, but because I realized, I started to think in terms of, oh, we have a thing. A lot of you have a thing called social capital. You have relational networks. So I know good and well that if I get fired tomorrow, which hopefully I won't, but if I get fired tomorrow, there are a lot of people in my life that will make sure that I'm not living on the street. You know? Like, no matter how poor I get, there are people who give a darn about me for whatever reason. <laughs> They're connected to me, and, they, and, and all, I think probably everybody in here is in that same kind of spot. But one of the things about the poor, that we think often in terms of just economically poor, and, and people are economically poor, but often along with that economic poverty, there's this deep sense of shame, this deep sense of loneliness, this deep sense of things are not right. they got nobody to depend on in the world, which is why everything feels like an emergency. Um, they got no connections, right? They can't call somebody's dad. They don't know the guy. I, I spent two months at the hospital at Erlanger, when I was uh, eight years ago, and I realized, like, wow, I think I'm getting a lot of extra special care because I know a whole lot. The chief of staff is coming by every day to see me, and they're making sure that all the right people are getting, and I'm getting a lot of care here. And I've seen other guys in medical situations without any health insurance. They get a different, their, their life is just different. It's not because of the, the, the givers of care. Just the system set up that way. They they can't they can't get the same thing. They can't go to the doctor anymore. You know all this kind of stuff. So we feel like it's our responsibility because we serve Jesus, who came to be a deacon, to be a servant to the world. That we have a responsibility to care about the people in our community who have less choices than we do, who are downtrodden, who are empty, who are broken. That presents itself in a numbers of, of kinds of ways. The first kind of thing that we really think being a witness would mean is just is general neighborliness. Because it's very easy to have an idea. For a lot of, like a lot of middle class people, the poor are, are a concept. You know, like, and maybe you think about yourself, do you know anybody that you would say, they're poor? They are the poor. Um, for a lot of us, it's an abstraction. We don't really know anybody like that. And if you don't, it would be great to, to figure out how you could become friends with someone. And how you could let your life rub shoulders. Because at the bottom of the day, at the end at the bottom of the day, at the end of the day, one of the things we want to do as a as a church is we want to be 
you know, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. We want to be generally neighborly. I can't tell you all the ways that you should care for the poor, but I know I also don't have to tell moms all the ways that they care for their babies. You know, but you, you know what you do is like when you have a baby, like you just fuss over them. You care about them. You think of things. You, you, you think, oh, something's wrong here. And I love this little critter, even though it makes sure I never sleep again the rest of my life. And that's for you ladies. I love this little critter, so I'm going to take steps to make sure, to figure out how, how do we care? How do I care for this baby? How do I help with this baby? So that's one thing I'd urge, is, is, and we're trying to think about, is how do we just be generally neighborly to folks? We're not coming in, we don't want to come in and say, we are, we are the savvy, north face wearing, middle and upper middle class, cool church who is going to impose ourselves on poor people and help them. We are going to rescue them. No, we live. These are our neighbors. These are people that we rub shoulders with. These are people we have some contact with. So part of it is like, it's not us just to do our thing on them. It's to do, it's to do life with them in some way, to care about them. And so a lot of questions get answered there. You start fussing over things. You start pursuing. You start trying to figure out what, what's best. So that's one thing that we're thinking about a lot. Instead of just throwing money at someone, which we do, we do that because people are in, are in desperate need sometimes. Sometimes a widow needs propane to keep her house warm. Sometimes a dude, we've used diaconal money before uh, to, to get a guy dentures. We've done that twice, I think, to get somebody with abscesses and all kinds of stuff to get his teeth yanked out and to get him dentures. I think we've actually gotten two sets of people teeth. I never thought when I was in seminary that one of the ways that offerings would be used in the church would be for teeth. But would it you like to have teeth? They're nice. They're very useful for a number of reasons. And boy, it would stink if you had to lose yours, wouldn't it? And you didn't have enough money to get dentures. Well, that's one of the great things that we've been able to do with some of our friends out here. And so, anyways, I'm, I'm going on too long with it. So there's a general kind of neighborliness thing. And then I think if we're, if we're working towards this neighborliness enough, what will happen is when there are big things, we, we were very privileged a few years back, two years ago. Privileged, I don't know if the word. But we, I think because, I, I'd like to think anyways, because the Spirit of the Lord is at work in people, because maybe we talked about this kind of stuff enough, that you know a tornado ripped through here, and it, and it caused a lot of physical damage to a number of people's houses in a swath of area in Hinkle over there. If you don't know where that is, you don't blink when you're driving home. Um, and one of the, thing, the things that is really cool to me is the morning after those tornadoes, how my phone, as they say, had blown up, and maybe Hutch has had too, people saying, what can we do where do we need to be to help? What can we? And we were able to organize this massive volunteer effort, <laughs> hundreds of people really, and thousands of volunteer hours eventually, helping people in an emergency situation. And then we formed this Lookout Mountain Mercy Fund, not just us, other churches and people from all over the mountain gave money for it. And, and, and in the process, for the next year, we were able to hire, we've, we hired a deacon who worked full-time to run crews, to run volunteer crews, and to even some of the times to pay dudes who were out of work which is the best kind of thing. To dignify people who didn't have work, we had the funds to pay them, and to, to be able to be like an insurance for people who had no insurance. So we put, a, we put roofs on a widow's house that the back of her house got ripped off. We 
for a dude who had no insurance, we re-sided his house and put a new roof on it. We, we bought somebody a house, a mobile home, with the help of a grant from the Chattanooga Foundation. It was very cool. And at the end of that, some of the guys, some of the local guys said to me, we got to get ready for the next emergency. we got to be prepared for when this happens again. And we just have a different opinion. But I said, why? We did it. I think we, we're getting prepared when we're trying to be people who love our community every single day. Then when an emergency happens, well, we respond in an emergency way. But most of life is not an emergency. If it is, then you're probably doing something wrong. Most of life isn't an emergency. Most of life is, is trotting along. It's being willing to have your schedule interrupted. It's helping somebody who needs something. So that's a big part of mercy for us, is trying to do that sort of thing. Does that make sense? When the big stuff comes, we'll have big stuff. And then if we, if we think in terms of neighborliness, there's a great story. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to read this to you if I can find it. Dang it all. Man, oh man. So unfortunate. I thought I had taken great care to copy and paste this so that I could read this. And I am mistaken. Okay. Well, there's a there's a woman in our community that when that over the years she has severe physical uh, maladies. Her life is a it's it's just a it, it would it, if you did a documentary on it it would just be kind of, you could just label it trauma. Like her life is just a series of unbroken uh, disasters. It's almost like wow, here's one person for whom nothing seems to have ever gone well ever from the time they were a small child. So that's well, first of all, that just sucks for them. It's just terrible abuse. Broken relationships, broken body, no money. Well, when we first met her, she was able, she was still able to work a little bit. We were able early on, and it's one of the great triumphs to me to think, wow, we had some people who were willing to say, this lady, they live in a really bad trailer. We bought, bought this person a, a, a new trailer. Um, so that was, I mean, that's a $25,000 gift. That's pretty cool to me. I, I, as a young pastor, I was like, dang, I'm, I'm excited that we're willing to do that. And we got people who are willing to do that. And, it, you know, we had one extra nice donor who helped the lion's share of that. person who made more money than I did and probably more than y'all do. And so we got to be friends with this lady. We were, lots of people were very involved with her and, and her husband. Her husband was in a wheelchair, an amputee. Well, then eventually, at some point, she gets really sick. Her husband leaves her. The, the dude, the amputee, dude, wants a divorce. His children take him away. She's left alone. She has, what does she get, 600 bucks a month? At some point, she gets really sick. She, she's in her linger for how long? Six months. Six months. She's given up for dead. Like, she, it's, everybody assumed, I think we all assumed, right? She's going to die. She's not going to make it. And all these people from our church started praying for her, coming by, visiting her, loving her. These nurses that were in her care were like, who is this church? We've never seen anything like this. Y'all are not her family? You don't even know, like, this is, she's not even a member of our church, she's just a member of our community. She does come to our church. So. But these people in our church, a handful of men and women, Hutch was going by very regularly, loving her, talking to her, praying for her. And eventually, she, she came back to life. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, 
And then we were able to Hutch spearheaded this. Some of the women, they're able to start to get her a lawyer to help her get disability, to help her deal with these different kinds of things. Um, a community of people helping her to deal with her pain medication, helping her to deal with basic needs, dental needs, physical needs. And it, it's exhausting if it's one dude or if it's one dudette. It's exhausting. If it's a team, it can be done. And so we've had a team. that is, The team's still going because this lady's needs don't let up. But this team is caring for this lady. And she says, Erica, she'll call and leave a message. I just want you to know I pray for the church every day. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit in the church every day. I'm praying for y'all. I love y'all. And it's an amazing story to me. And I think that's the kind of thing we want to happen. It's... It's, it's a general kind of neighborliness. And then when needs arise, we try to figure out what's the best thing to do here. The, all the situations vary. But we want to be really about that in this community. We have helped... Man, I'm going to finish in four minutes. You're like, yeah, right. We have helped in that respect. We have helped with... Uh, we're helping an organization called Hope for Northwest Georgia, which is uh, our, actually uh, the last secretary for us has helped has formed this organization. She's a community development major at Covenant. And they're trying to help churches learn the best ways to care for the poor. We're, we, we're supporting that. We have people in our congregation who have developed something called Lookout for Orphans, which is a it's purely a fundraising arm to fund adoptions. We've tried over the years to be generous in helping people adopt because there are children in the world who need families. And we've got lots of people in a position to put them in families. So it's been exciting. That's the thing that God cares about, care for widows and orphans. So we're, we're trying to care for widows. We're trying to care for orphans. We don't have a program. So if you want to be involved in these kind of things, it helps. that's why it helps to be involved in a small group. If you, want, if you want to be called on to help because these things, things come up, let Hutch know. We'll put you on a list. There's a lot of things that we will send out blasts to you. We need a ride for this person. You give somebody a ride, you start to know them a little bit. This person needs somebody to bring them something. You bring them something, you sit with them, you start to talk to them, you start to feel like, oh, this is a person. Like They're just like, just like me. They just didn't have the same, they just weren't born into the same family. They didn't have the same educational opportunities. They didn't. Their, and, you know, their daddy beat them, and uh, mine didn't. And so you get to talk to them. You get to be friends with them. You start to care about them. And you start to think, oh, they, they need something. Or, or they need a job. Can I, is there a way for us to think about how they might get a job together? Maybe I could, something that I could, maybe I could help them along as, as we think about that together. Whatever. So... Hope for Northwest Georgia, look out for orphans. We are, we try, we have a fairly large, for a church our size, diaconal budget that is, is, is just part of our operating budget, and it's, uh, it's for the care of people in distress in our community. And I'm really excited that we do that. And it also is for people in the church. Sometimes somebody loses their job, and they can't pay the mortgage for a few months or something. You know, in, in America right now, you are probably aware because you feel this, but a lot of people are, you know, a paycheck or two away from being in some kind of economic disaster. Even middle class people, even people that look like they got more money than they have. And so we, we try to help in that kind of stuff. And we, that's part of why we want to be a church that's very generous. And that's why we, we urge people. We t- you're going to hear us talk about money a lot. It's not because we're trying to raise money. 
we believe, you know, God's wealthy. You know, he's not, he's not like a college kid. He, he's not trying to scrounge up gas money. God is wealthy. He, he asks us to give so that we can, so we can grow as children and trusting him. And it's a way for us to have the capacity as a church to meet the needs of people as they, as they come up. And so it's a very important part of our, our work together, and it's something that we want to be very important. We want anybody who's a member here to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my offerings. I'm going to give a tenth of what I get to God, or maybe more, so that I can be a part of his work on the world, in the world, in the world. Um, da, 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 da. Last thing, church planning. We have been a part. We may, we may plan in our church at some point. We talk about that. We've been able to start this new work at Little Lake. We think that churches are an important part of God's plan on that planet Earth. Um, and so we, we're presently involved in church planning partnerships, part of where our offerings go. In Central Asia, you've probably heard about that. Um, we're in India with church planning partnerships. We've helped in Rome, Georgia. Uh, a guy from here uh, who hired Matthew Bryant at the college, he, he was in our congregation, and then they went down to Rome, Georgia, and, uh, perimeter in Atlanta, and then in the circuitous route and planted a church in Rome. We've helped a church in Portland, Oregon, New City, East Lake, and Chattanooga. Not in huge ways, but we, it's something that we want to always be important to us because we believe when a church gets, a little embassy of Jesus gets set up, it's good for everybody in the community because it matters the way all of you get formed in the faith and then you go out, you work at schools, you build things, you work at coffee houses, you work at a college, you work with children, and you are being little Christ in the world. And so the formation of a church is a great gift to a community. It's a gift to believers. It's a gift to the poor. It's a gift to the world if we're doing it right. And so uh, we want people to think of their, their vocation in the world like that. We want people to share generosity of life and wallet. We want people to, to we want to be active in helping church plants. And, um, and we want to be active in care for the poor.